set to run across the entirety of Africa, is one of the greatest collaborative projects in human history. Millions and millions of trees in a line stretching across the entirety of the African continent. It will be the Great Green Wall. The Great Green Wall first, I think it's important to say that it is not a wall. It actually involved over 20 countries around the Sahara, from North Africa, the Sahel and East Africa. When you look at the geography of this Great Green Wall on the map, it involves 780 million hectares. Can you imagine 780 million hectares? This is the Down to Earth podcast. This podcast is about extraordinary ideas for a better world. My name is Stacey Cornell. I'm a communications officer at the International Institute for Sustainable Development. The Great Green Wall is an initiative in Africa combating climate change, desertification, poverty, and food insecurity. I wanted to explore the Great Green Wall initiative because agriculture is on the front lines of almost all global challenges, from food security to gender equality. Around the world, almost 800 million people go to bed hungry every night. 70% of these people live in rural areas. When I heard about the Great Green Wall Initiative, this mosaic landscape stretching hundreds of millions of hectares, I just knew I had to learn more. I am Nora Berahmouni. I am the Senior Forestry Officer for FAO, based here in the Regional Office for Africa in Accra. So Nora is a senior forestry officer with FAO, the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations. She's been involved in the Great Green Wall Project since the very beginning. She supports the creation of the project and the countries involved. And having the opportunity to speak to someone who is involved from day one, getting this project off the ground, still involved to this day, just provide a really unique opportunity. So it's not a wall, but it is more... You can imagine it as a mosaic, you know, of forests, cropplands, and, you know, agroforestry, uh, landscapes, pastures around the Sahara. It's like a tapestry. And also, actually, and sometimes we do not think about it, all the fresh water and the aquatic ecosystems that are the wetlands, yeah, that, that are part of this areas around the Sahara from North Africa to the Sahel and West Africa. And when people so think about the, the initiative began in 2007 when African heads of state and governments both endorsed the Great Green Wall uh, to contribute to social, economic, and environmental uh, sustainable development across the Sahara. It originally was meant to be a bit of a narrow band of trees, creating an 8,000-kilometer-long corridor from Senegal to Djibouti. But since then, the plan has expanded uh, to surround the Sahara. More of the belt of vegetation, trees, and bushes growing from the original 11 countries to now over 20 African countries. So if you look at land degradation that can be restored, that are considered dry, 
we're talking about more than a billion hectares of land in Africa, touching more than 500 million people, more than half of Africa's population. So uh, it's really, really a huge uh, program. So Elvis is the coordinator of the Great Green Wall Initiative uh, with the African Union? Yeah, um, so my name's uh, Elvis Paul Tanger. I work with the African Union Commission based at the headquarters in Addis Ababa. He works on a variety of things related to the project, from advocacy to resource mobilization to liaising with partners and more. The Great Green Wall Initiative is a bit of everything. First, maybe we have to go back to why it was created. If you may recall, you see that in the 70s and the 80s, the dry lands of Africa, especially the Sahel and Savannah region, was struggling. There was a lot of extreme climatic incidents that was happening, extreme drought, extreme rainfall, extreme dust storm, advancement of sand dunes, and what was usually termed the advancement of the Sahara Desert. Uh, studied in those days showed that the Sahara Desert was advancing at about two centimeters a year, uh, which was alarming. It was completely annihilating some of the achievements, the developmental achievement in those areas. And many countries in those days brought up all these green programs. We had the green belt in the Sahel. We had the green revolution. We had all type of green programs. But it was realized that these programs were not really getting the impact. And it came to the realization that it was because this was just a small patches uh, program here and there by countries that to combat desertification, to fight land degradation, countries could not do it alone. So they had to bring a regional program that would tackle these uh, challenges. So what is the Great Green Wall now? It's a huge program that is focused on the dry lands of Africa. Countries in the Sahara, north of the Sahara, you're talking about Algeria, Egypt, Tunisia, Morocco, Libya, and the other countries, sub-Saharan African countries, which goes across from the Sahel to the Horn of Africa. One of the things that struck me the most about the Great Green Wall Initiative is just the sheer ambition and vastness of the of the project. The Great Green Wall covers 780 million hectares of land across the Sahara, so that's more than twice the size of India. And this huge stretch of land is home to 232 million people, which is about six times larger than the population of Canada. So... It just struck me just the impact that this project is going to be having across the amount, not just of land in terms of improving the, the soil fertility and bringing trees and crops and greenery back to these communities, but also how many millions upon millions of people will be impacted by this and how that's going to contribute positively to their food security, to uh, gender equality, to like their livelihoods in general. And, and uh, what you should know that apart from the challenges that we talk about more, these areas are also areas of high economic potential. If you look at green economy, these are areas of huge potential for energy, both solar, 
geothermal, uh, wind, and also these are areas with huge potential for ecotourism, so, so cultural tourism. They have the, the best wildlife in Africa. And uh, also, when they say Africa's population is young, the youngest populations in Africa are found in these drylands. The focus on the younger populations is a really interesting one. Can you maybe explain a bit more why focusing on the drylands in relation to the younger population is part of the Great Green Wall Initiative? Yes, look, if you take, for instance, a country like Niger, about 60% of Niger is under 20 to 17 years. These are the youngest population that you can have. So why we focus on the young population? Because the future of Africa depends on this young population too. So if you don't get these young people occupied, and studies have shown the linkages between natural resource scarcity, desertification, conflict, and migration. So it has been proven that when there is land degradation and desertification, like what is happening in the Lake Chad region, Lake Chad, as you know, have seen about 90 to 93% of its uh, water uh, body uh, have been degraded. And it has left more than 50 million people unemployed, have left many young people without jobs. And you will realize that there's a correlation between these areas and what we have today, migration and conflict. Also, if you, if you have been following the news, you realize that there's this huge drive of very precarious migration. Millions of youth leaving Africa, trekking through the Sahara Desert and trying to get into Europe through the Mediterranean Sea, from Spain to Italy to Malta to Greece and other places. These are mostly unemployed youth and they are looking for greener pastures. They are looking for employment. They also want to be part of the globalized world. They also want to have smartphones. They see all these things on, on the social media and also be one of it. And those that don't have the money to travel, they are easily recruited by groups like Boko Haram. That is why you see Boko Haram, Acme, and all these groups are striving in the driest part of Africa, in areas that have been disseminated by land degradation, desertification. The Great Green Wall is bringing in innovation. It has cut down climate-related migration. It has led to young people going back to school. It has improved the life of most of the families because now the women are gainfully employed. We've introduced micro-financing program. So these are high-impact programs that have led to communities coming back, communities that used to disappear. If you take uh, the case of Senegal, and the case of Senegal resonates with many of the cases, I want to focus on the impacts of the Great Green Wall Initiative in Senegal, not only because it's one of the regions that's more far advanced in terms of implementing things from the initiative, 
but they've also taken quite a focus on gender equality in the project. I can tell you that women know what they want. That's the first thing. Women in these communities, they, they have the business acumen. They know what they want. They know what they want because they are the ones responsible for their families. But those things does not come without some natural challenges. All of those things, they face them. You know, as I said, uh, most of the population, the main economic activity in the drylands or in the Sahel is pastoralism and animal husbandry. It is a cultural thing. Apart from being an economic thing, it's a cultural thing, it's a norm, it's a way of life. But that way of life is being challenged by land degradation, desertification, and climate change. There's no longer availability of free pasture lands. There's no longer the arable lands, the land, the fertile soils have been washed away and destroyed by extreme climate. There's no longer availability of uh, permanent water bodies. The water bodies have been destroyed. Although they don't say it, these women are the main breadwinners of their families because the men go off. So they have huge burden. And these burdens over the years have been exacerbated by the advent of, of climate change. So when you provide for these women, you are providing for the whole community. When you empower the women, like what we are doing in some of our programs, you are empowering the whole communities. So that's why we target the women when it comes to livelihood activities. Senegal, actually Senegal was the first country or one of the first countries that have really spearheaded, you know, the implementation on the ground of the Great Green Wall. Before the Great Green Wall initiative came to Senegal, it was land that's been impacted by desertification, so very dry lands, not very many trees at all, very difficult for crops to to grow and to flourish, which really hit the communities in Senegal quite hard. So we started first by supporting the communities, including women, youth, and, and men, in techniques, you know, how to restore the degraded land. Because in the beginning, the National Agency of the Great Green Wall was looking only in using like six tree species to restore the land without even asking the communities to say what they want. So we started this consultation with the communities first to say, okay, if we had to restore this area, what do you want from it? What plants do you want? What are the useful plants you you need? So they came up with a list of species, including trees, shrubs, and also grasses, you know, native grasses species, because they need fodder for their livestock. And shrubs and trees, of course, because they need products like fruit and uh, also trees that can fertilize their soil. Since then, a huge number of trees have been planted. Quite a bit of um, shrubbery has been planted as well. And women are primarily planting trees seasonally. They also oversee community gardens where they can grow their crops. And then this has provided them the opportunity to to sell crops, which uh, then contributes to their household income. Trees, they can provide products, uh, what we call in our jargon, we call it non-timber forest products, which are those products that are not timber, including, for example, 
the GAM Arabic, which is a very important product uh, economically, you know, that has even an international market. I'll just give you an example. GAM Arabic is really very important to produce yogurt and produce uh, for Coke, for example, you know. Even there in, in America, in the U.S., for instance, it's really very important product. The Great Green Wall Initiative has impacted the lives of about 10,000 people in Senegal. Specifically, over 500 of these individuals are women and youth, and they've now been trained in sustainable forest management and restoration. They've also been trained in forest products and business development. We have also looked at uh, supporting the women groups in uh, producing and marketing and selling uh, the fruits and using it also for their local consumptions, either for food security, nutrition, and also to get more money. For instance, products like Baobab juice, uh, producing baobab syrup, you know, baobab tree is really very important tree, an iconic tree in Africa and the drylands. And so using the baobab fruits to extract the syrup and the juice is very important because it's very nutritious and they can then keep the, the product and, and store it and sell it to get also income. So throughout my discussion with Nora, one of the main things I learned from her is about the restoration efforts from the project. I knew the project was focused on desertification, but I didn't know quite the extent to the restoration efforts, like creating natural reserves, reintroducing wildlife that they haven't seen in years. Uh, It was just a really eye-opening experience when I was chatting with Nora. With also the, the leadership of their mayor to set up a site 2,000 or even 3,000 hectares to set up a community-based nature reserve to bring back, you know, to reintroduce the wildlife that was before thriving in the area and that was, you know, extinct from the area. For example, the gazelles, the turtles, etc. And then develop a tourism activity around this community-based nature reserve. So we started first to work on the restoration of the land, you know, to bring back the biodiversity, the plants. And then now we are in the process of reintroducing the species that are living in, normally that have been living in this area. So it's really very important to think of the Great Green Wall, not just as the tree component or as the plant component, but looking at sustainable development, actually. So integrating the different sectors from forest, land, water, biodiversity, environment, tourism, and and so on. What really struck me about the Great Green Wall Initiative was what an amazingly collaborative effort it is. Amelia Moran Hemphill is a filmmaker and a producer with the BBC. I'm a solutions journalism reporter. We look a lot at people fixing the world and local solutions to global problems. She had visited Senegal back in 2017 to interview community members uh, of the Great Green Wall and to learn more about the -the on-the-ground impacts of the project. So many African countries all coming together to make this project a reality. So I thought that was really exciting. But also it's 
had such a tangible effect on the communities in the Sahel region. So looking through the data, I was really impressed with that and wanted to meet the people that it was helping and see how they were going to do this incredibly ambitious project. And also, it's obviously very visual. So that worked for us, too. And um, so you said it's, it's very visual. Can you just kind of help paint the picture of the initiative? Yeah. So we traveled to northern Senegal um, to see what was going on and how the planting was going. And you got a real sense of how dry and overworked the land was becoming. It was this desert region, very harsh climate. We were driving along and the roads were pretty difficult. There was a lot of dust and sand, not much wildlife to be seen at all. It was very extreme conditions. And then as we started getting closer to the Great Green Wall, you just see the landscape completely transformed. Suddenly there were patches of trees and then the trees were becoming more dense. You started seeing wildlife again, people herding cattle and villages too. And these beautiful gardens that the women were farming and the women planting trees. And there was just a lot more activity going on, communities of people everywhere. So that was very dramatic to see. It was a real visual reminder of how climate change is affecting these areas and how efficient land management, when people come together and really invest in these projects, can change things so drastically, very visually, and people really benefit. So you said that um, there was lots of interesting data. You had a chance to, to speak to community members impacted. What were some of the most interesting facts that you learned while covering this story? Well, I think uh, what surprised me was how trees can affect the temperature and actually bring the temperature down, um, which I wasn't really aware of before. And also how the trees actually hold water in the soil. So the wells in the nearby area that had been run dry before actually filled up again. So it becomes much easier to grow crops when you have a more fixed water table. So that was very interesting. And also that the trees slow down the wind because one of the big problems was wind erosion. So there's been a huge loss of the arable land because the winds just blow away the topsoil. So when you've got all these trees, it actually slows down the wind and reduces the the erosion so people can grow plants and crops much more successfully. The part about her documentary that made me want to speak with Amelia was not only how just beautifully shot the documentary was, but also how she portrayed the community members' stories, how engaged she was For me, actually, it was really interesting hearing from the elder members of the community because they had really seen the change in terms of desertification of this land just in perhaps two generations. I was speaking with one old man who said, you know, when I was younger, there used to be farming here in a very stable community. And literally in the space of a generation, we've seen these temperatures rising very aggressively. We've seen the land being over farmed. People can't farm cattle anymore. We were planting huge amounts of crop that wasn't developing. And we were seeing very scary hunger, poverty, people being drawn into extremism. And then just through a generation 
I think the Great Green Wall was started back in 2007. They've seen this huge improvement in terms of more crops being grown, children being able to go to school, and now things are starting to get back to how they were before. And then to see their children suddenly being able to have these good jobs and a much stronger sense of community and much more stability, actually, they had the most, I think, impactful stories for me. So when speaking with Amelia, we spoke about how the project is impacting women and youth in the region. How giving the women jobs and good paid jobs on the Great Green Wall had affected the attendance at local primary schools because normally what would happen is that people would migrate with jobs and seasonal planting jobs so they have to move around a lot with their cattle or farm animals and because the jobs on the Great Green Wall were much more consistent it meant that the kids didn't have to leave the primary schools so in the areas that we were, the primary schools had seen a huge increase in the number of children graduating from primary school. And I think it just allows people to really invest in a community when they stay there, they build connections, they have jobs in an area. And when you foster a sense of community, then people will really invest their time and their energy into building jobs, sustainability. A lot of the women I met, when we were there, they were performing songs praising the Green Wall. And while they were working, they would sing and chant and had sort of only good things to say about the wall, really. That it had allowed them to grow their own crops, to be able to send their children to school and to make the environment nicer and less harsh when they're working. There was a lot of shade from the trees, which there hadn't been previously and they could see the trees growing, they could see the vegetation developing and the roots holding the water in the soil and it had created this whole new economy. One of the main challenges Amelia had brought up was simply the ambition of the project. It cost quite a bit of money and so she she had just noted that having the the motivation the resources to keep this going could prove to be a challenge not that it's not possible of course um but it's it's a challenge to be mindful of you know the whole thing is estimated to cost around 8 billion dollars which is a lot of money so obviously there have been bumps in the road along the way i think it took them a lot of time to figure out how to plant the trees in the most effective way because in the early stages there was planting that went wrong, a lot of the trees died um, or people want to graze the animals too soon because it's quite difficult saying to a community, look, this land is all being fenced off, you can't graze your cattle here anymore. So getting people to buy in that this is a long-term project and they're not going to see instant gratification on this is definitely a challenge and some countries have been more effective in that than others and you know countries where they've seen war or famine or other geopolitical issues obviously haven't been able to commit as much time and resources to the tree planting as some so 
again, the countries that have got the most out of this are also the ones that have been able to put the most in, in terms of resources and management, because this is not something that has happened organically. It has had to be very managed. And then we also explored some of the challenges of sustainability of this type of of long-term project. A lot of people have been doing studies, PhDs on the Great Green Wall, and I think those results have been very interesting, but they're, they've taken a long time to do. So it's only just best practice is only just starting to be filtered down several years in. And this Great Green Wall is far from complete. So there's, there's still a lot to be done. I think they'll complete it. They've been doing quite well thus far. Of course, every project no matter the the magnitude but with one of this scale has its its opportunities as well as its challenges but from what we've seen so far with the great green wall initiative they are a committed group of people from the programmatic team members at fao to the community members on the ground across the sahara everyone seems incredibly committed to making food security and resilient livelihoods a reality the two last questions. The first one is, where do you see the Great Green Wall initiative heading? And what can we expect to see in, in two years or in five years? I am seeing it really scaling up because in the beginning, when it started, people were not believing in it. You know, they say, oh, what is this? It is still an idea, etc., etc. But uh, now that we have actually demonstrated on the ground that it works, You know, you have areas restored, you have people, communities getting income from the restored land. We have created the model that could work. So I think now people can believe in it and we can go further by scaling up what has been done already. These were areas before the Great Green Wall that were completely barren. The trees have been cut down. These are areas that uh, families were uh, suffering. It was difficult to make uh, ends meet. But today, if you look at the, the, the some of the communities, you see that about 11 million trees were planted and about 6 million trees have been grown which means these areas have been transformed. I think a lot of the research that we looked at has shown that where this project has been successful, communities have seen a decrease in migration, in young men being drawn into extremist groups, and really the power of jobs. And everyone has the same wish that things will be better for their children, that they can work to provide something for their children and leave a legacy for their community. And the Green Wall has really inspired people in that way. And hopefully other countries in the world will look to the lessons learned from the Great Green Wall and hopefully will be able to replicate similar things. Thanks for listening to Down to Earth, a podcast from the International Institute for Sustainable Development. 
IISD is an independent think tank that delivers the knowledge to act. Through research, science, and analysis, we tackle the root causes of some of the greatest challenges facing our planet today. Find out more at www.iisd.org. This episode was created by Stacey Corno. Special thanks to Elvis Paul Tangum, Nora Barakmuni, and Amelia Martin Hemphill. Thanks also to the African Union Commission and the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations. And thanks to all those keeping the Great Green Wall project going. Down to Earth is produced, edited, and mixed by Carmen Clausen. Find more episodes at iisd.org slash podcast. If you have questions about what you just heard, other thoughts about this episode, or ideas for a future episode, tweet us at iisd underscore news.